and welcome to Cardscast, a brand new football podcast all about Woking Football Club. Through this podcast, you'll hear roundtable discussions, match previews and reviews, interviews, as well as us sharing our favourite memories of players, matches and seasons from the past. My name is Glenn Harrington and I'm joined as ever by Jacob Greenwood to talk all about the latest going on at the club over the last couple of weeks, including prospects for the new season, a look at our opening day opponents as well as our favourite first game of the season memories. But before we get into it, remember to like, share and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from. Now, Jacob, last time we were on, I think it's fair to say we were still feeling fairly positive about our prospects for the season. Now, everyone knows that a team shouldn't be judged too harshly on pre-season, but I think that it's fair to say a fairly comprehensive 3-1 defeat to a National League South side in the shape of Hampton and Richmond Borough doesn't bode all that well, and as well as that, has potentially rattled the confidence of supporters a little bit too. Uh, what did you make of it all? Yeah, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Uh, I think, as we've said on previous episodes, you know, pre-season doesn't really count for much, but obviously the closer you get to the season, people can get slightly more nervous, I guess. I think the only thing that you would say about it is is these are games where, you know, we do them for fitness, probably the earlier ones, but but the ones nearer the end and the season starting, I think you're really doing it to see, you know, what's the system, where can players play, you know, other options, all of these things, as opposed to just playing your starting eleven in their exact positions and, and and going for that. So I think we could tell there was probably a few experiments, if we can call them that, last week. The kind of Tommy Block at right back and, and and that kind of thing. You know, obviously a few trialists as well. Um, you know, I, I think. Uh, the line share of those didn't really impress. I think one out of the three did, um, you know, which was good. Um, so yeah, there were, I think, reasons for it happening. Hampton's team, it struck me, was a little bit more uh, settled and would basically be going to be the one that started the season the next week. So um, also, don't forget, I guess, the, you know, the positives that came out of out of the Dorking game as well. But um, yeah, I think it's it's really tricky. I guess if you if you do want to you know take a negative approach and you say well you didn't beat Dorking at home you didn't you know you didn't score a goal and then you were three 0 down you know going into injury time I think it was and, and just got a consolation goal against Hampton so it's a disaster but um, it'll all be forgotten about if we get a result on Saturday won't it? Yeah, I think I think you're right and it's very much whether you take that glass half full or glass half empty approach. I know people will kind of look back at some of the pre-seasons past and it's it's very clear from many many years of evidence that pre-season results bear little to no um, kind of standing on on what will happen over the course of the season itself but I think probably what concerns me the most at the moment is that we haven't seen anything like a settled team at any point during pre-season and obviously there are plenty of caveats as to why that is and all of the uncertainty there's been around the season um, but I think the fact that we, we've gone into that last pre-season fixture still with experiments being being done as you say um, with trialists in the team um, it, it felt quite a long way away from a settled 11 that you'd, you'd see starting the season and, and actually if you look at um, some of the other fixtures that we've that we've played some of the other teams we put out and kind of the state of the squad in general 
there's quite a lot of question marks about who's going to be lining up come Saturday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, there the, the is, you're right. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, it, when you go through it and you say, well, this will probably be the first 11, uh, you know, and you kind of break it down, you know, on paper, certainly it's not, it's not certainly not the end of the world and people have been kind of making out. And actually interestingly, I think one of the interesting things from Saturday, the Hampton game, was just looking at the bench as well. So it was, you know, Connor Hall, um, Goddard was on the bench, I think. I can't remember if Max started on the bench as well, but there are a few players there. Obviously, Jarvis hasn't been involved with pre-season at all, so that's another player who could foreseeably come back. It would be good to get an update, I guess, on his fitness at some stage, just to see if he is ready to go um, or not. So, yeah, I mean, you start throwing names like that in there and, you know, as I say, block instead of playing them at right back, maybe play him, you know, centre midfield with Cooper, which looked quite good, I think, in some of the, um, some of the other pre-season games. And then, yeah... Also, I guess other things, I, don't, I think I'm right in saying Cartwright wasn't involved at centre-back um, the other day as well. I think we had a trialist there instead, um, which again, you think, well, you know, he's got to come in as well. So I think when you, you go through it player for play, you're like, well, actually, there's quite a few players that missed out and there's some that are coming in with, with good potential. Um, so, you know, there's that to hang on to a little bit. And then to your point, though, you're, you're right. It, might, it would be nice maybe to have had one more pre-season game where we've, you know, had that, that first eleven, But maybe they've done that in training this week. And, and done, you know, the starting eleven against um, the others, or something like that, just to give them a, a little bit more practice. So, yeah, I think we'll probably have to wait and see how it goes. But it, the squad doesn't feel like it's finished just yet. Um, mm. and, and I guess maybe Dowse is leaving it a few more weeks, even after the season started, to get the right players in the right positions, rather than just trying to get, you know, a, a massive squad assembled. Obviously, there's been a lot of kind of. Um, youth players and fringe players that have been signed. Some of them have been loaned out as well already. Um, so there's that. But I think when we're talking about first-team quality, first-team ready players, we've probably got a little bit further to go on that as well, haven't we, I think? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think I made this point during the week um, on the forum that I wouldn't get too hung up on the, the prospect of seeing all these youngsters signed up. Firstly, obviously, brilliant for the for the academy and for the young lads to to get these first team contracts and to be training regularly with the first team, to be getting opportunities potentially to go out on loan like uh, Joe Leslie and Salim Syed have already. Um, and potentially others will, will follow that path as well if they find kind of first team opportunities limited as the season gets underway. But I think with, with so many games packed into the early part of the season in particular, um, and obviously with the uncertainty around the virus and potentially players picking up illnesses or injuries, etc., um, you want uh, kind of a, a, lots of options in your squad, I suppose, and, and Dallas has done that by turning to the academy and turning to youth, which I think is a, a great way of doing that rather than just bringing in players to, to take up positions in the squad and taking up um, you know bigger bigger chunks of the wage budget probably than some of these young players are. Um, I think it's a, a good solution all round to be to be using these players in the way he has. And as long as, you know, with respect, we don't come to lining up against Solihull on Saturday with four or five of them in the team, then I think fans will be absolutely fine with that. 
Yeah, and, and I guess the one thing, just say, you know, credit to Hampton as well. Like, it, it was a good performance for them. And I'm not sure, I know that their, their goalkeeper who had a great game was listed as a trialist, but was that Alan Julian? Because he signed for them this week. And I think they mentioned he'd been on trial there. So, I mean, again, another goalkeeper that always seems to have a great game whenever we play against him. And he, you know, he's played for every single team in the league, it seems. And, you know, again, I think there was probably a few, few really good saves that he pulled off in, in that game as well. But Hampton looked really good. I mean, from that performance, I mean, you'd have to say they're probably going to be be right up there um, in, in the Conference South this season. So, um, so you know, that's it's positive signs for them and and a couple of the ex cards as well. Obviously, Wasmano was playing and, and uh, Jake Gray, I think, was was also in the starting eleven. So, uh, yeah, maybe exciting times going on there, uh, and hopefully, uh, as you say, we'll look back on that result and go, oh, it didn't really matter anyway. Yeah, I did wonder if uh, Dallas might have had a word with. Charlie after the game just to see what his contract status was. <laughs> yeah, he, he looked really sharp. Um, that was obviously the frustrating thing, I think, when he signed signed for us, wasn't it, really, is that he wasn't fit when we signed him and struggled to get fitness back and, you know, all of these kind of things. And it was just, that obviously, Dallas kept telling everyone how good he was going to be. And I think we probably saw in that game, for people that hadn't really seen him in, in his prime, I guess, you know, that's the kind of thing he can do. So, yeah, it, it's a tricky one, but obviously... Uh, a really good player for that level, certainly say that much. Indeed. Um, let's let's turn our attentions to Saturday's game then. And I think I know we've we've gone through the squad a couple of times on on previous podcasts and things, so I won't dwell too much on it. But I thought it'd be good just to to look at who we would expect at this stage to be lining up um, for Woking on Saturday. And I think if you look at, at the squad list at present, I think there's a there's a few in there that are obvious sort of clear choices that will be straight on the team sheet. So you'd expect Craig Ross naturally to be in goal. Um, Jack Cook, either at right back or centre back. Um, Josh Casey. And then you'd imagine, although we've not seen him thus far, Sam Cartwright, the young lone player from Peterborough, to be in the sort of left centre back position, which by all accounts he favours. But a question mark certainly as to who will be that fourth member of the of the defence. Uh, ben Gehring obviously sidelined and foreseeable through injury. Um, you've got Nathan Collier uh, and young Leo Hamblin, both available, um, but potentially a new arrival still to, to come in. Uh, be, we, we've seen Tommy Block, as you say, used it right back in a couple of the friendlies. It'd be interesting to see what Dallas does there. Yeah, it, it, it will do. I think, you know, looking at it again, critically, that, that, that game against Hampton, I, I thought you know, Block was in all kinds of trouble. I thought at points in that game, and it was it was it was disappointing. I think because he looked so good in, in that centre midfield position, he looked comfortable on the ball. He had the time, you know, to to pick a pass, and and he you know he was putting some tackles in as well, which was good. And yeah, I just the player he was playing up against, I know, had quite a bit of pace as well. Um, you know, and was kind of you know going past him quite a few times. But you know, if that's not your position, that's not your position. That, that's kind of fine, I think. And you know, if if Collier then plays right back, you know, he's, he's you know, it wouldn't be first choice there. Cook would be first choice there. But, you know, given the predicament we're in, I think Collier would probably be a better shout there. Um, you know, cause he might be better defensively, but also that then frees block up to go into the centre midfield uh, position, which is personally where I thought he looked a lot more comfortable and, and could probably be a lot more of an asset for us. So, um, yeah, there are those kind of options. Um, you know, it's good to good to have those kind of options. But you're right, actually. I think that when you, when you look at it, um, you know, and then even, I guess, going into the midfield, you know, block, Cooper... If you want, Ferdinand didn't look quite on it last week. I know it was his first game in quite a while because of injury, so you might go with Max in the middle. 
uh, as well. Um, you know, that might be a better option. I think potentially it come, might come down to formation because I know Dallas tends to experiment with either kind of sort of 4-3-3 or 4-5-1 or variations thereof. Um, and I know that in a few games last season, um, we'd, we'd tend to play sort of Poku over, you know, a Max or an attacking midfielder when we were expecting to be on the back foot. And I think probably fair to say we'd expect to be on the back foot against Solihull looking at the squad they've assembled. So, again, I, I agree it perhaps comes down to whether Kane is fit enough because I think he did struggle um, last week and he has only had sort of 20 minutes in pre-season before that Hampton game. So, But for me, I think Cooper and Block would be the first two and then it's whether you play Kane or, as you say, Max in front of them but is that a little bit too adventurous I don't know yeah you're right I think um there's not many options is there there you're not blessed with them so that again that might force kind of a formation change um you know and, and then maybe putting two in the midfield instead or you know or something like that it really comes down to the tactics of it I guess doesn't it there's just enough players to tweak around with it and have a play um and then see what we want to do but you're right um you know, a team like Solihull, it, it really depends, I guess, how, you know, the scouting we've done on them and how they're going to set up and the best way we, we can counter it. So, uh, yeah, and that's that's the thing, I think, you know, when, when we're light on the ground in terms of the squad already, the last thing you want to do, I guess, is, you know, start Kane Ferdinand if he's only 75%, you know, match fit and, and he picks up an injury and he's out for, you know, a few more weeks or a few more months, um, you know, when we could have just waited a, a couple more weeks and, you know, maybe played him off the bench or, or something like that. So, yeah, well, I guess we'll just have to have to wait and see of those. But again, I guess the, the formation change could play into our hands in that case. Yeah, definitely. And I think one one position where we are blessed with quite a few options is out wide, actually. Um, so presuming that regardless of whether it's sort of 4-5-1 or 4-3-3 or three, three, with those two wide players slightly more advanced, um, kind of, I guess you're waiting to see to hear about Matt Jarvis obviously not seen anything of him in pre-season but I think that was relatively expected um, so hopefully we'll get an update from Dallas maybe tomorrow on what his sort of fitness status is but even if you take him out of the equation you've obviously got Dave Tarpey, John Goddard and potentially or hopefully Malachi Napa to come in from Oxford as well who's played in the last couple of friendlies and looked very good probably been the standout in those two games. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's been a strange one, really, because uh, it's, it's kind of been talked about, and he's, he's played those preseason games, but he's he obviously he's not signed just yet, or, or you know maybe has, a, and it will be announced slightly later on. So we'll have to wait and see. But again, yeah, an, another option there, and, and I guess with players like Napa, you know, if you <laughs> if you're going to be really adventurous and, and do something and say, oh, we haven't got the bodies in midfield, you could do what we did at the start of last season and go for a five at the back, and maybe play him as a wing back or something, and you know maybe then Hambling comes into the squad and uh, he's had a good. Um, I was going to say, if you go five at the back, you've got to find three centre-backs from somewhere and we've only got one. <laughs> well, yeah, Casey played a left-sided centre-back, I think, when we did that at the start of last season. I don't know if you were unsure on the centre-back there and if you thought, well, maybe if we put Casey in there and then it's a three, does that give you more cover? But again, you're scratching around then for options for, for wing-backs and, and stuff like that. So it's not, you know, that's... It's not very very realistic. I'd highly doubt that we would do that. But again, it just gives you those those options because in the you know the modern game where wing backs, uh, especially at the you know the, the you know top top level Premier League and stuff like that, wing backs don't ever really have to defend. They just seem to be bombing forward all the time, and their defensive qualities seem to be 
you know, null and void because, um, you know, there's always someone filling in behind them. So, you know, the, the options there. But again, it's just finding the bodies to do it. And, and that probably highlights more than anything, doesn't it? That, you know, first team ready, first team standard players that we might just need a few more of to bolster the squad. Um, mm. There's certainly a lot of young, enthusiastic players there. But, you know, having a few more experienced ones is, is something that's probably going to have to come in within the next few weeks, I guess. And then I think if you look up front, I think just to finish off this kind of portion of the podcast, there'll obviously be some concerns over where the goals are going to come from off the back of a, a pre-season campaign where we've not seen very many goals. Um, Connor Hall, well, potentially could, could lay claim to one, um, but officially speaking, is yet to get off the mark. Um, Jaden Wareham obviously got the one against Southampton, but there's not a lot of goals in that team at the moment. And It'd be interesting to see whether it is Connor that starts, whether there's still another body to come in before Saturday, uh, or whether just to to throw a curveball in there, whether we could potentially see Dave Tarpey through the middle. He's obviously had success at this level in the past. Um, he has generally, I think, looked quite sharp in pre-season. If you've got potentially Napper, Goddard, Jarvis out wide, maybe we could use him through the middle instead. Yeah, it's possible, isn't it? It does look really likely. It'll kind of be a three up front or a one up front, depending depending on how you look at it, doesn't it? I just can't see we've got the players to have a two up there in case you know, unless we do make some kind of. Uh, There's not much variety, is there, in those those striking mm-hmm. options that we've got? I know you've got young Sam Evans as well, but he's not had any minutes in pre-season. He potentially could offer something different, but we we don't know yet. So until there's potentially someone else to come in, yeah, I think. We've kind of got your sort of poachers to choose from rather than a, a traditional big target man. Yeah, poss- possibly, yeah. And, and it, it might be that that's what we go for, I guess, in a game like this, where we say, you know, Solihar probably going to come for three points. They probably won't settle for one. Um, you know, they're going to come at us. So, you know, if we can catch them on the counter-attack with, you know, Block and Cooper playing balls from deep, maybe over the top, and, you know, you've got the pace of some of those players running, running onto it and running in behind, um, you know, that, that could be a, a game plan, certainly, for, especially if Napa signs, but he's rapid. So um, that might be, you know, a way that you could go about it. And it's a shame, actually, because we did actually kind of create a few opportunities last week against Hampton. And obviously we said there were some good saves, but there was a couple of good balls into the box, uh, you know, and, you know, the keeper's pulling out all these kind of blocks on the line from, from shots within the side of the six-yard box. You just, you just think, well, if that fell to Connor Hall assuming he would have been in the same position as the, as the trialist that we had up front, you know, he could have got a couple of goals there. And I think that's what was good because he did look good when he came on and he set the goal up as well. So you do kind of look at that and think, well, maybe that was a chance there for him to get a couple of goals. But, you know, you just can't assume that he would have been in those positions. And if he would have been, would he have taken the chances? But it, it just seemed, you know, maybe a good chance if he was playing to bag a few goals. So maybe he's been unlucky and and that we can see him him start well and, and that he might thrive on that pressure. You know, some players do have, you know, I'm wearing the number nine shirt. I'm actually the only recognised, you know, centre forward here. Yeah, I've got to step up. So certainly a, a big role to fill, isn't it? Mm. Definitely. Um, so let's turn our uh, attentions to Solihull then, our opponents for the first game of the season. Um, they were... Promotion contenders two seasons ago. Uh, they missed automatic promotion by just three points in 2019 to Leighton Orient, who were champions that season. They went on to lose in the playoffs to AFC Fylde. And then last season, a little bit underwhelming, I guess, from their point of view. They came ninth. They actually 
got exactly the same number of points and the exact same record in terms of wins, draws and defeats as Woking. And the cards actually had the better of the head-to-head results as well, having won 2-0 at the Lathwaite uh, right back at the start of the season when we were obviously in our, our very good run in August. Jake Hyde and Manny Parry, the scorers, in a in a 2-0 win. Um, but I think we're, we're probably agreed in the assumption that we're going to see a very different Solihull team on Saturday to the one we saw sort of 12 months ago. Yeah, and it says a lot about their expectations. I think that they've been there or thereabouts for the last few years, but they've also kind of spun through a few managers and, you know, not been overly happy with that position, which I guess that shows the ambition of of what they're looking to do. But, um, you know, that again, they're a club that's that's got some money behind them. Uh, you know, not, I don't think they get the biggest crowds. Uh, maybe that will slightly hurt them. Actually, looking at this proposed kind of government plan of, um, you know, the, the, the bailout being based on, you know, how much you were taking via gate receipts. Well, you know, some of the clubs that you know re- rely on someone putting money, and maybe they're going to be, you know, slightly more impacted. But it really depends on the owner and, and, and just what they're doing. But yeah, certainly some really quality players. I saw Rooney was banging the goals in as he does um, in pre-season. Um, you got, I think you got two in their last pre-season game, um, and just one other player actually. This some this some that they signed, Stephen Gleeson, um, who's who's a centre midfielder, defensive midfielder. Uh, but he, he kind of had 169 games at MK Dons, 117 games for Birmingham. Uh, he's played for Republic of Ireland. Uh, he's got four caps there. Um, he was at Aberdeen a couple of years ago, uh, and they've got him in over the summer. So again, it just speaks of those levels, doesn't it? Of you know we. I mean, we've got Matt Jarvis, obviously, so, you, you know, you can always look to stuff like that, but it's just not the kind of calibre of player that we can probably afford to be bringing in, you know, on full-time wages. And, you know, it's just it's just not, you know, what we can do as a club, but that doesn't mean that we can't compete with them. But certainly you would look at that team and go, yeah, they're probably going to be all right this season. But again, everyone thought that about filed last season and they got relegated. Um, so it just yes. shows you in football, I guess anything can happen, can't it? Yeah, for sure. I think you've you've picked out the same two players that I was going to mention in in Rooney and Gleeson. Obviously, Rooney was signed back in March, but due to the season swiftly being curtailed thereafter, it hasn't yet made his debut. So I imagine he is absolutely chomping at the bit, unfortunately for us, to to get on the pitch and to actually play a proper league game for Solihull. And then Gleeson, as you say, playing for, for Aberdeen in the sort of Scottish Premier League only last season. So as quite a, a CV that he's got there and, and obviously you compare him to Jarvis while an unbelievable player has spent the best part of four or five years on the sidelines and is on the way back and we hope for the best for him but it's uh, it's a slightly different standard potentially. Yeah it, it is um, and you know that's just that's just the way the league goes really I think isn't it? it, it it always feels like there's kind of mini leagues within the league, really, because there's so many different teams that are at different stages of what they're doing. You know, some are just glad to be the, you know, part-time teams that are, you know, just trying to make things happen. It'll be the highest level that a lot of their players have, have played at. Um, you know, and some of them are full of football league stars where, you know, the conference is, is probably like a bit meh to them because it's just like, well, I've played hundreds of games in the football league. What is, you know, this challenge? And I think that has held some of the teams back in, in the past that have, you know, just tried to buy the league, but they certainly spent a lot of money on, you know, players, that journeyman players in a sense that have played quite a few 
quite a few clubs in the football league, and then they kind of you know come to the you know the, the national league, and it, they're expected to be a success, and and then they're not really. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, Villa Ricky Town is also probably one of those ones as well, where you know you, everything going on there's a bit crazy, but you know when we played them, I think, in, in the Conference South, I think Jamie O'Hara was playing up against Paul Hodges. So you'd go, well, you know, one of them's vastly experienced, he's played Premier League, blah, 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 you know, all of these games. But actually, realistically, he was coming towards the end of his career and, you know, I'm sure he was really up for, you know, the challenge, but it probably didn't really mean much to him compared to the rest of the stuff in his career. So sometimes I do just look at these players that have dropped down and think, you know, just how motivated are you to come out and play conference football and and you know this will obviously next week when we talk and Rooney scored a hat-trick that you know whatever but you know you, you do look at it sometimes and just think well you know when you've been there and done it you know what's the, the ambition whereas I think last season while we started so well is a lot of players were you know that hadn't maybe played in the National League before or even at that standard were really kind of relishing the opportunity and and, and, and going for it. I guess actually one interesting point is, um, you know, obviously the, the second game as well, game as well is, is against Weymouth, who have, uh, you know, obviously come up from the Conference South and retained a lot of their squad from last season and, and, you know, probably more in a similar position to us. But it kind of does, it's quite interesting, actually. We, we've got re- two really different types of club, um, mm. you know, in the first couple of games to go, where you've got this one that's, you know, they're probably less supported than Weymouth as well. In, in fact, almost definitely less, you know, well supported than, than um, Weymouth have more fans than the club like Solihull, but you know it's just the status of them that they've got the, the opportunity to sign full-time players that have played in the football league and, and all of these things. So it, uh, it should be an interesting first week, you know, playing mm. a couple of different clubs that are at different you know spaces in, in 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 what they're doing at the moment. Yeah, I think it'll definitely be, as you say, sort of polar opposites of of two opponents. And we talk about Weymouth quickly, just for any listeners that might be might not be too familiar with them. Um, they're coming off the back of consecutive promotions. They were promoted via the National League South playoffs last season. They beat Dartford in a penalty shootout at the end of the season. Uh, and they're back in the National League after 11 seasons away. So if you can remember as far back as 2008, 2009, uh, that would have been your last opportunity to see Weymouth playing National League football. Um, obviously a blow to them early in the summer, losing manager Mark Molesley, who's moved to South End in the Football League, albeit for now. Um, and they have now uh, hired the services of Brian Stock, for whom this is a first job in senior management. He's a former Bournemouth, Doncaster, Haven and Wales midfielder. Uh, and an interesting challenge for him to, to try and keep Weymouth in the National League when I imagine they'll probably be a lot of people's favourites for relegation. Yeah, probably. Um, but, you know, they, they, some teams that do, do come up do have that kind of, they, they run on the momentum. I mean, two back-to-back promotions, that's, um, there must be some real momentum going on there. So, um, you know, they might thrive off of that for the early part of the season. I remember that, uh, I think the year that uh, we won the league uh, and Dartford came up through the playoffs. I think that first season they had up, well, we both did quite well, but Dartford were like hanging around the playoffs for part of that season. And then ever since that season passed and the kind of momentum died down and it was what it was, they really kind of hung around the bottom of the league. I think they stayed up on a technicality the next year and then got relegated the year after that. And then it, that was the kind of end of it. So you do see it with these teams. And, you know, just because they've retained players, you know, sometimes when they've got a bit of momentum going, that's, um, you know, a pretty wise thing to do, um, especially at times like this. You know, you don't, 
want to be going out there and probably signing loads of new players in, in case they don't work out. So um, yeah, it's certainly be interesting to see how, how they do this season. I guess on uh, you know the flip side of it as well is last season, uh, you know Chorley, you know really kind of struggled um, uh, this level and, and they were kind of relegated kind of by Christmas and they were just miles off and um, you know sometimes it just doesn't work out. So. I guess it'll be interesting to see whichever way it goes. But um, I think it's probably, this is actually interesting, I guess, one of those games where I think if we were going there and fans were allowed, let's pretend the pandemic never happened, um, you know, that would have been a massive crowd there probably. You know, their first game back in the conference, Tuesday night, you know, it would have probably been in August, so probably quite nice weather. Um, that probably would have been a much tougher game than it might be. Uh, just because that you can imagine that the place kind of being electric with fans that have not been, you know, to see Weymouth in the conference for a few years and they've got this momentum running and, you know, it might have been a really difficult place to go at that time in the season. Um, mm. So that's one of those where you think maybe no fans, you know, it's, no one wants to see it, but, you know, maybe that kind of levels the playing field a little bit for, for a game like that. How, how big a, an impact do you think the behind closed doors nature of the season is going to have on results do you think we'll see more surprises or do you think that there will be we'll, we'll see more of kind of the favorites picking up the results that are expected of them I think if you look at obviously the Premier League where behind closed doors games have been going on for sort of four or five months now um, certainly home advantage as a concept seems to have disappeared quite quite drastically um, certainly away teams picking up a lot more positive results but I think also if you look at sort of the EFL Cup results for example we've seen almost entirely uh, complete dominance from the Premier League teams because obviously the the impact of going to these smaller grounds and playing in front of a quite tight in close by hostile crowd isn't there so they're effectively playing a training game against a team that they're much better than um, and, you know, you're seeing the sort of six, sevens quite regularly. Um, what do you think the impact will be kind of on our division where you've obviously got quite a range of budgets and squads assembled that we've been talking about? Do you think we'll see, you know, some some surprises or do you think the season will will will, will go kind of as expected with the, the likes of Notts County, Stockport, Solihull pulling away early on? Yeah, I think within one of the nice things about non-league football, I think is you, it always feels like those surprises are always just kind of they're there in almost every season. It's just kind of predicting what they're going to be, and but they, you know they're always file getting relegated is one of them that was just like crazy. But this, these these kind of things happen, and, and teams, yeah, they, they do go on good runs. But I think it's probably closer to the first point you were making, where it will probably feel like a training game, and and some of the you know the bigger teams, and especially with you know even just looking at you know, Woking as an example, you know, if the pandemic hadn't happened, might we have been able to field a slightly stronger team? You know, are we going to be weaker because of it? Possibly. Um, you know, is a Notts County? No, probably not. Are, you know, and, you know, Solihull, another example. So, again, the, the class might, you know, just, that it might be a bigger gap there as well, which, which might come to the fore. But I guess, I think in the, um, in the Football League and in the Premier League, there does seem to be, a lot more kind of tougher places to go, um, which is, you know, a real kind of cliche, but, you know, those kind of, oh, you know, we're going to play against, you know, Burnley away or something, you know, so it's a difficult game and the crowd are up for it and, and all these things. So you take that out of the equation and you're right. I think, you know, the, the bigger teams uh, will find it easier against that. I don't know if it's quite the same in, 
in the National League. I'm kind of racking my brains to think of a team where you think, well, you know, they're not very good, but they've got a really partisan home crowd and that makes it really difficult. Albeit some of the bigger teams actually, you know, sometimes are the more hostile places to go because they've actually kind of sold out or they've got four or five thousand in the ground and, you know, that, that can be its own its own task. But just thinking about some of the clubs, you know, that, that, that are there in some of the smaller grounds, a lot of them don't really get great crowds. I mean, you know, your Boreham Woods and your Maidenheads and, and stuff like that. It's, it's not really... It'll feel exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, so <laughs> it's it's... Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really change too much, does it, I guess, in that aspect. So I don't know what your thoughts are on it, though. Uh, I guess potentially for some of the... You mentioned, like, the bigger teams there. And it makes me think of, like, your Wrexham's or your Chesterfield's teams that have got big fan bases and big stadiums but have struggled over the last couple of years or so. And maybe it's something that will work in their advantage because, actually, when you do have bigger crowds, what you get is bigger crowds turning on the home team. I think we've seen it a lot with Wrexham in particular in, in the last few years where they've they've had a lot of pressure to deliver good results and they've just not been forthcoming at all. Um, and there's nothing harder, I think, for a, for a home team than when you've got a big crowd getting behind your back or getting on your back rather. And, and when you've got, you know, the likes of Woking going to these grounds, it's you don't need much more encouragement than to see... The, the home players kind of buckling under the pressure and you think right they're here for the taking um, and maybe without that atmosphere there it'll just make the environment a little bit more comfortable for those teams. Yeah possibly yeah you're right actually the big crowds can, can work against the, the team sometimes and more often than not they do and Wrexham are probably used to playing at this level now they're actually the longest serving current team in the National League if, if that makes sense of so all the teams yeah. at the moment they have been in there consistently I think now for uh, it's crazy, isn't years? it? Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, actually, definitely, that is that is right. Because um, we were playing them before we went down under, um, in the in the kind of Kim Grant era. We we were playing them um, back then. So and you know they've still not left it. So I think they've probably accepted it a bit now. But yeah, I mean you could tell from stuff like Notts County last season where it was just like this. They couldn't fathom how they just couldn't beat us five 0 Well, they did beat us four four nil, wasn't it? I think at Kingfield. But you know, the away game, it was just like, well, why can't we just roll this team over? And and then the crowd kind of get on their backs, and um, that yeah, that works in in our advantage sometimes. And um, yeah, that's that's certainly a plus. So yeah, maybe and that will be maybe a benefit this season as well to um, to not have that pressure on them and, and and see how it goes. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. I guess it's just. It's just nice to have a season that, that's taking place, I guess, isn't it? It's one of those things where not having the fans will be a real blow, um, you know, to, to non-league more than more than most leagues probably, because it's all about those kind of local fans and volunteers, and you know, they're really part of the club. So not to have them is, is a killer. But um, it's just nice to have the games on, and we'll just have to wait and see. Hopefully, that the big boys don't just run away with it and stuff us all. But um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. No, it's the uh, impossible question, especially after the pre-season we've had. But if I was going to push you for a prediction for, let's say, the first two games, as uh, I think we'll, we'll probably struggle to fit another podcast in between now and Tuesday night. So if I was to ask you for a, a solid hole prediction, first of all. Cool. Crikey, I hadn't even thought about this. I didn't even... I didn't, it should have been obvious that you were going to ask this question, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I think it'll be a really difficult game, um, especially if they come up and they really fancy it. So uh, my heart says, you know, maybe maybe we'll get a 2-2 draw. My head says they might beat us 3-1. Uh, and Weymouth? 
Uh, that's that's a trick. I'll go for a win there. I think we'll we'll win two one there. All right, I'd, I'd take three points from those first two games. To be honest with you, I think I would. Um, I think I'm I'm feeling much the same. Uh, I can't I can't shake the the pessimism. I'm unfortunately ahead of Saturday. I think the odds are, are, are rather stacked against us, but I would I would hope and expect us to beat Weymouth with with respect um, to the squad and to the management team that they've got. I think I think they might struggle to to acclimatise themselves to the national league at least at the, at the start. So I'd, I'd I'd take three points. I'd be happy with that. I think that's when Dows is at his best, though, isn't it? I think as a manager, is it's when the world is against him and the team and yeah. the club, and everyone's expecting us to, you know, get trounced, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we, we pull out a performance. And I saw something interesting uh, on Twitter actually, a, a picture after the uh, the Swindon game, uh, and it, it was a, a picture, and it was just the players celebrating in front of the fans, but actually all the players involved in the picture were actually all still with us. Um, so you, you know, your colleagues, your cooks, your Casey's, and, and players. You know, actually, some of these players have actually, you know, gone and shocked a, you know, a football league team. Um, you know, it, it was the FA Cup, yeah. But then sometimes games like this Solihull game are like an FA Cup tie. Um, you know, especially you know when they're looking at some of the players they're coming up against. So you know, hopefully they can you know really use that as a motivation and yeah, ne- never write um, a, a woken team under doubt off. I think when they're when they're playing to them, albeit we have just said we're going to lose. Never write them <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, I think if you if you want a, a little bit of sort of optimism and positivity, I think um, you know to to coin a couple of the the phrases that Dallas has used on some of his catch ups. You know, players are are always at this level for a reason. So while Solihull's squad might look superior on paper, there's actually you know a lot of players that have dropped a couple of levels to to be in that team. Yes, there's money and stuff involved in that, but actually. Are they good enough to play at a higher level anymore? Um, like you said earlier on, we're going to have a team that will have all the odds stacked against them, the bookmakers against them. They'll be determined to go out and prove a point. That's something that Dallas has always spoken of the importance of, of having within his squad of players that are hungry and that want to go and get a result. Um, and actually, um, playing a team like Solihull so early in the season you know, it's an opportunity to catch them by surprise. Um, you know, we're, everyone will be coming off of very patchy pre-season campaigns where they've just tried to play whoever they can, probably get a couple of local games in, restricted by obviously COVID guidelines and things. We've no idea really what sort of form anyone's going to come into the season with. So probably better to play the the big boys early than sort of later in the season when they've had the chance to get up to speed. So I know we've both kind of said that we're not expecting too much from Saturday, but maybe you never know, I guess is my point. Yeah, hopefully. And, and you just hope as well that there's not like a massive overreaction to whatever. And there will be because it's football and this is how we do it. But, you know, it, it is just the first game in, in, in a long campaign. And, you know, it's a, it is, there is a lot of kind of new aspects to the team and, and all of these kind of things. So you just hope that, um, you know, people... A receptive of that and, and can you know at least see some you know some some fight in there and, and some things where you think well maybe I can see some some kind of progress there or this might come on in, in a few games so that's always nice as well I think um you know so was it South End on their opening was it the opening day of their season where they got absolutely stuffed by Harrogate 
um, yeah. in, in one of their like something like that would kind of be. You're right. You, people might go, it's a disaster, but I think as long as you see something there and you know plenty of fight from the team, I think that a, a lot of Woking fans will, will be happy. Albeit none of them are always happy, um, <laughs> but, but I think the majority of us would be. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just to to finish off, then I said we'd we'd have a quick chat about kind of opening day of the season memories, and it's been it's been a time that's been quite kind to us as of late. Um, Woking have actually won their last three first game of the season fixtures, um, four of the last six as well. Um, what what stands out to you? What what are your kind of favourite memories from first day of the season? It's always it's always a great day, isn't it? I think it, it, in terms of yeah, there's so much excitement going into the first games of the season, just because like, you've missed football and anything can happen. So they're always good occasions. I think there's been two, three that stand out. Two really good away days, I think, in terms of Alfreton when we went there um, and we won three one. Um, I think that was when Dean Morgan scored and Rendell, I think, got a couple in that game, um, and that was that was really good fun. Um, you know, and we really looked like a kind of a, a, quite a decent team that day. And you're thinking, well, maybe I think Alfreton probably went on to have quite a bad season. Um, but that was a, that was a good one. Again, you know, getting underway with a win, especially away from home, scoring three goals. That was really nice. And, and we took quite a good following that day. So that was a nice one. Tranmere as well, weirdly, was was a really enjoyable day and actually I think showed us that we were kind of on the right track for that season, even though we lost Rendell, which turned out to be his last game for the club in the first 45 minutes of the season and we lost the game. Um, I think, you know, we kind of walked away from it and, and that's probably one of the biggest stadiums I've ever seen us play in, in like a, you know, competitive league game as opposed to FA Cup or something, you know, we were at that level, um, which, which was amazing. And we really kind of played our part. The only other kind of memory that I had was the one year, I think it was, Either the opening day or our first home game, or at least one of our first home games, was when Marvin Morgan signed for us. And he picked the ball up in our own half, beat about six players and then scored. Um, and that's just not that something we see very often. I think it might have been, yeah. That's just something you don't really see at, at non-league. Well, happening for your team. Sometimes maybe it happens against them. But <laughs> you never really see that kind of goal, I think, where someone just does something with such skill. And you're like, wow, I've actually just witnessed like a, you know, an incredible moment. I don't think you even won it. I feel like we might have drawn that game. But um, yeah, so f- f- for me, there's, there's some good, certainly some good memories in there. I don't know what, what are your kind of top one or two or three? Uh, just uh, just giving me some memories of Marvin Morgan now because he was uh, he was a favourite back in mid 2000s. I think it was only a, it was only the one season we had him, and, and like all good working strikers, he went on to play for Aldershot, unfortunately. But uh, he was. Uh, a very good player that season and uh, probably one of the only reasons that kept us, I think, in the division that year. I think we might have gone down the year after. Um, so it's uh, nice memories of, of that season, at least, and of that moment. Um, but I think the one that, that I picked out was uh, the first Conference South promotion winning season back in 2011. Uh, so this was the opening day away at Sutton. Um, and uh, we won... 5-0 for those that, that don't remember or, or weren't there. Um, two goals for, for Jez Sol, um, Elvis Hammond, Dale Bins, and then substitute Paris Cowan Hall with the goals. And I know that I think at that time Sutton had only just come up from the kind of the Ishmael Leagues. Woking were obviously heavily tipped for promotion, having assembled a very strong squad, just come off the back of a, a very strong end to the previous season under Gary. And it had all the momentum in our favour. But I think that was the game that 
think I think Bin scored after about 90 seconds. Kind of, it, it was one of those days where everything we touched turned to gold. You know, Paris came off the bench, immediately scored on his debut. Everything went right. Um, and we just absolutely tore him apart. It was five. It could have been ten. Um, and it just, from, from then on, I think it, it seemed destined that we were going to win the league fairly comfortably and get promotion. And it, it felt like we were on to the start of something quite special um, back at the start of, of Gary's reign, obviously. And, we went on to to have many years of, of success under him with kind of top half finishes in the national league and and loads of great memories aside. But that that felt like the day that that really kickstarted all of that and and some great memories from from seeing us win at a ground where we've we've struggled sort of thereafter as well. Yeah, that was yeah really comprehensive. You're right, actually, and and yeah, I remember the, the, the first bins goal that you talk about, and I think we were all kind of switching ends, and and we were already kind of one nil up by the time we got to the other end, which you know on the first day of the season, it you know it's just crazy, and, and that was a really a really comprehensive one, and yeah, really good start to what turned out to be, as you say, a brilliant season. Probably was just a preview of what was to come, wasn't it really? And um, I think sometimes in that season, people were saying, you know, we, we were winning games you know, 2-1, 1-0, or we were drawing them. And then people were like, you know, it's going to click at a few points this season. And when they do, you know, we're really going to stuff some teams. And I think there was a few examples that season where we kind of scored four goals or, or more. And the Tunbridge game where we scored six away from home. And, and obviously the Sutton game, as you say, the five. And, you know, there were certainly a few home games. I think Sutton at home as well, we scored four against them in the home tie. Um, so not a great season for them against us. Um, but yes, yeah, some, some really brilliant games um, in, in, a, in a brilliant season. And lots of goals as well, um, which was which was nice. But uh, yeah, always good to get up and running. But I mean, God knows how Sutton felt that day after, you know, they were probably all really excited about the start of the season and they conceded. I seem, uh, <laughs> I seem to remember that we beat them 5-0 away. I think it was 4-1 at home in the reverse fixture and then we beat them either 3-0 or 3-1 in the Surrey Senior Cup final as well. I think they were absolutely sick of the sight of us by the end of that season because we were into double figures by the end of it. Yeah, but I guess in fairness now, they normally kind of get results against us that they kind oh, of yeah, well, they, Christmas they, last they year. They got eight last season, didn't they? So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good. Yeah, good point. Actually, that brings us back down to earth. Just we'll end the podcast on a crushing reality check. <laughs> well, one thing I was just going to mention is that I've got the team from that day of that five 0 win up on on the screen, and just looking at the attacking options that we had. So in the team that day, you got Jez Sol, Moses Adamola, Elvis Hammond, Dale Bins, Jack King, and then on the bench you got Paris Cowanhall, Wayne Gray, and Nathan Karangteng as well. God, we kill for a couple of them right now, wouldn't we? Yeah, exactly. It was uh, that was that was you know a really good team that, that Gary got together, and and that was kind of one of his main skills, I think, as as a manager, a real man manager. But you know, some of the players that he pulled in, be it on short term loans or you know actually on contracts, and and that was the season where it all came together, and, and we even kicked on after that, obviously in the, in the in the league above. So it was yeah, it was. I feel like you know it's risky saying it, but you know there's surely no other manager that was just pulling in all of these players, um, you know, uh, to that level, to be like, yeah, I'll come and play for you. Like, I could probably go and get a football league team or, or conference team and play full-time. But actually, you know, I'll come and I'll be a part of this. And, you know, that says, says a lot of that about him, which was, you know, a, a real great era. And, and as well, I think actually the, the thought behind a lot of the, the good 
um, first day of the season games is actually a lot of the best ones come to think of it come after you know something when we've had a bad end to the season before um, and it, it kind of feels like a brand new fresh start you started with, and, and that was the Sutton game because I think we lost to Farnborough in the playoffs the year before or the season before that um, you know and, and what, you know what a horrible way to go out to you know, what we would consider as local rivals even though they're you know pretty low down the food chain especially at the moment but at the time it was you know you know, really frustrating and, um, you know, horrible to in the playoffs as well, especially, you know, an extra time type of thing. And just thinking about, you know, some of the first games we've had back in the, the conference south as well. So I think that willing away game where we, we won 2-1, I want to say, or 2-0 maybe, um, when, when we had gone down and that was the first season in, in the south the first time. And uh, obviously we had the, the game at East Thurrock, um, a few years ago as well, which was a terrible game, but you know, great celebrations at the end. Um, although Paul Kincheski won't be watching it back, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> it was just like one of those. Like last season was so, you know, such a disaster because you know we got down there, but actually, you know, we started with a win, and, and it feels like we we're on our way back up again. And that's why they can be quite, I think, exciting games as well. Um, just it just feels like a fresh start sometimes, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah, and I guess to to end on a on a positive and give Dallas a, a little bit of credit as well. Um, I know we spoke about this on a previous podcast, but a, a fantastic result to go down and and win at Dagenham at the start of last season. Obviously, coming up from from National League South, retaining a lot of that National League South squad, uh, probably a lot of people's favourites for relegation, and we showed straight away that we weren't going to be any pushovers, and we went and turned over what were at the time, I know they obviously didn't go on to have a particularly good season, but they were expected to be kind of in around in and around the playoffs in August, and we won fairly comfortably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, brilliant. And we, yeah, I think as we might have said actually before on, on the podcast, is Dagenham away always seems to be an important game and one which we always seem to get something out of. They must think that we take 300 fans to every away game um, and create loads of noise and, and all of those kind of things. So, no, it was, it, yeah, again, uh, uh, another one that kind of proved the point, even if then we lost to Aldershot a few days later. But then obviously we, were, we went on that brilliant run, which was, um, which was yeah, which was amazing, really. So, uh, yeah, hopefully more of the same this season. What a positive note to end on. Fingers crossed then for Saturday and you can let us know all of your favourite opening day of the season memories and your predictions for the next couple of games on Twitter. Jacob, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so on Everything Woke NFC, which is just uh, at Everything WFC uh, and my personal profile is uh, jgreenwood91. And you can find me at GlennH1292. And just on a separate note, there's nothing to do with football or Woking. If you do enjoy these podcasts and would like to show your appreciation, I am running the London Marathon on Sunday uh, for my charity, which is the Youth Sport Trust. We support young people and create more opportunities for young people to take part in sport. Uh, all of the donation details are on my Twitter profile in the pinned tweet at the top. So if anyone would like to put a couple of pounds in, that would be much appreciated. Obviously, difficult times. Um, and yeah, be, be very grateful if you can. But until then, thank you very much for listening and we will see you soon. <laughs>